0: We'll pray. Dear Lord, we are grateful for at any time we get in your word a chance to know your mind, where you would take us. We learned last week, Lord, about following you and what that means. We'd ask that we would do so this morning in your son's name. Amen. Well, we are in a series of passages you could see, starting in Numbers not a passage I have ever preached a sermon out of. I know I've taught through it in Bible studies about uh, Old Testament survey, etc. But it's a short little bit in the course of the Jewish wandering in the, uh, in the wilderness before they entered the promised land. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of, to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died He would look at the bronze serpent and live. Great story. Um, people being, I was talking to somebody last night about patience. She was, someone had thought she was patient. And she said, well, how can they tell I'm patient? She said, well, what you're really doing is you're telling... you." that you're not impatient. You can always see impatient people. They, they let you know. They have a lot of whine, a lot of criticism, a lot of upsetness. They stomp their pretty foot. They want it taken care of now. They will express it. So when someone is not expressing that they're in a state of crisis over the things of their life, goes, no, you're really patient. Not seeing something is when you see righteousness here. And the people of Israel became impatient. They put their ore in. We hate this worthless food. There's no water. This is an awful situation. As you follow the story in Numbers, you realize how deserved this was. I mean, they could have gone into the land flowing with milk and honey at the beginning, but no, they had to complain. They had to disdoubt God. Then it takes being bitten by fiery serpents. Now the word here is not "fiery serpents." It's interestingly enough, it's the word "seraph." It only occurs elsewhere in the Old Testament in Isaiah six, speaking of the seraphim. I don't know why. What's interesting? I give you a couple of references here on the side. Josephus in his antiquities and Herodotus, the father of history in his Persian war both of them recount um, that in this part of the world there were flying snakes. Josephus records it in Moses' campaign to Ethiopia which is not in the Bible and he uh, talks about how Moses realized these flying snakes were coming out and biting everybody and they would carry ibises, those birds look like storks, around in wicker sacks and ibises were the enemies of these flying snakes and so whenever the flying snakes showed up he let the ibises out and they ate the flying snakes Herodotus says the same thing Herodotus went and saw the, the skeletons of these flying snakes I think the NIV translates it darting, darting snakes. Whatever the case, whether or not these were flying snakes, whether, I think Isaiah refers to them as flying snakes. um, Or not, it's not really that important to the passage. But what's interesting is they're being punished for their sin by these snakes the image that Moses is told to make is an image of a flying snake or a fiery snake, and the people just had to look at it to be healed of their bites. That's the end of the story. But you get to John 3, our next passage here. This is talking to Nicodemus. It's John 3:11 through 15, famous verse John 3:16 comes immediately afterwards, okay? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Suddenly, the little story in numbers, just one paragraph, one little aside, it's a quirky moment. Strange, weird animals don't really know what they're about. What, you know, why does it almost seems like an idol. He casts a serpent. Isn't it kind of like what Aaron did with the golden calves? But here it is, a shadow of what happens in Christ. Christ points it out and says, think of that and think of the Son of Man. And as it had to be lifted up and looked upon to heal the people of their snake bites, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, we have to see the difference as well as the similarity. The similarity is supposed to get our attention, say, oh, a great lesson is present. I wouldn't have thought in terms of the fact that a cross that you crucify someone on was being lifted up Christ uses the term lifted up so that people will recognize the connection. Well, the story in the Old Testament gives you a series of information that you fill in your knowledge of Jesus Christ because it's pointing to Jesus Christ in some sort of way. But one of the distinctions is if you looked upon the brazen serpent that Moses lifted up, you were healed, you would live. Christ says in verse 15 that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So the life was physical healing for physical sight, looking at the snake. And when Christ, the true image, the thing that was coming to fulfill this shadow, it was spiritual life, not for physical sight. People that were walking down the street downtown Jerusalem and they walked by a crowd of people and they looked through the crowd and they saw Jesus Christ didn't suddenly get healed. I think it was in Ben-Hur. Did you ever see Ben-Hur? I think the last scene or close to the last scene in Ben-Hur, Ben-Hur's mom and sister who have leprosy, Christ is being crucified and they look at Christ and are healed of their leprosy. That's mixing up your categories. I'm not saying a person couldn't be healed of leprosy by looking at, looking at Christ. But there's a, there is a, um, um, a difference between what is expected of you. Now I want you to think about what is expected of you and how it's different so that you do not make the same mistake that others make. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, in John 8, the next passage, it's a very interesting passage. There is a, um, I want you to go ahead and read the rest of John 8 going on from verse 30 after you, when you have a chance. They said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, even while I have told you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Jesus, so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak thus as the Father taught me, And he who sent me is with me, he has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. As he spoke thus, many believed in him. Well, I want to warn you about something about belief, getting on the bandwagon with belief, is there's a number of places you can stumble and fall in belief. This Passage I just read is an example. If you read the rest of the chapter, the next verse says, And Jesus said to those who believed in him, is it a number believed? Let's see if I can find that John John eight. Uh, this verse says, as thus he spoke, as he spoke thus, many believed in him. Verse 31, Jesus then said to the Jews who had believed in him, and he chases them through the next bit, and you get to the end of that bit, and so they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. By the end of this conversation, those who had believed in him were picking up rocks to kill him you know we are capable as human beings to drive this bit of stupidity down all sorts of side streets. And it will look like we know where we're going. We assure our families, we assure our friends, we tell ourselves, we know where we're going. And we do this by having belief in Christian things but not belief in Christ. Not listening to him. Now the Bible, there's the New Testament. It's amazing. We were talking about the Jesus Seminar. Have you heard of that at all? The Jesus Seminar. A bunch of scholars who decided that they were going to vote on what sayings in the New Testament were really of Christ. And they would let us know what they thought Jesus really was teaching. So they just removed anything they didn't like. That was convenient. But how many of us have our own little Jesus seminar going in our mind? Well, I I don't agree with that part. Well, I don't think that's right. Well, excuse me. You are not God. It it, it sort of interferes with that little equation. But that's what we all do. Now, when we're wanting to do that, we want to have the kind of belief that does not disallow us from being in charge of our own lives. When we look at Christ, when we look at the true, when we believe in him, we will have eternal life. We have got to make sure that we're not insisting on all sorts of ways of replacing that belief in him with just seeing him. Because this is a, a tricky area in religion. Religion is a lovely place to hang out. It will make you feel all better. It will make you feel like a good person. It might even be Christian religion. But if you're trying to have a religion that you look at, when you act like you're still looking on the brazen serpent, physically looking at it, you fail to realize that God didn't ask you to look at it, he asked you to believe him. When you have a relationship with the scriptures that says, it doesn't matter what I think, what it says is true. When you have faith in God, 100%, and you do not have this special area where your rights as a woman, or your rights as an American citizen, or your rights as a, you know, a John and uh, enlightenment thinker, if you say, I'm willing to give it all up to know Jesus Christ. Because that's where the surpassing worth is. It's belief in him. It's him who we follow. It is he who we follow. Is that correct? Any you grammar Nazis out there? It is he who we follow. And that has a measurable account of of, of you going to the word and either taking it in and going, yes, Lord, or you're objecting to it. Some of you object to it by not reading it. I don't have to do that that I don't know about. And so you don't know about the word of God. But how do we, we but that we say, that's the secular humanist. Those are the people running around out there partying, drinking, you know, listening to rock and roll stuff. And uh, that's not to us religious people, but our religiousness is how we dodge this bullet. The bullet of Jesus Christ and his apostles telling you how to be. Being replaced, belief in that, being replaced by a seen religion. I was talking to a young woman a couple nights back who I was trying to point out some aspect of Christ and the apostles how they seem to be dealing with things and she said she was a, churched, a very churched woman she had grown up in the church she was devoutly churched and she wanted to tell me and did that the church wasn't mature back in the days of Christ and the apostles and that as time went on the church became more mature and knew things better I looked at her like she was insane suggested to her that she was insane now what is that what is is a person doing, what they're doing is they're replacing belief with seen commodities of religion institutions, liturgies catechisms, confessions crosses Religious holidays, whatever it is, they want to, they would rather have themselves seem like Christians. I get, to, I get to call myself a member of Christendom. I don't have to really acknowledge a belief in a pursuit of Jesus Christ personally, because I have accepted the seen religion. I've got the seen religion all over my house. It's easy to default. It's easy to believe in what is seen. It's easy to believe in the church. It's easy to believe in the idol that you set up. When I told you years ago that I was driving by St. Mary's, there's a statue of St. Mary out front. Guy on his knees in front of it, praying to the Virgin. Statue of the Virgin. Now, it wasn't actually the Virgin. Who, by the way, is not a virgin anymore. She had some other kids. But, how do you say, what? 21st century? Oh, yeah, 21st century. And it's not merely, oh, those Catholics, they're so silly. Or you'll think of the Orthodox with their icons. And that's just weird. You've got a gold leaf background and Jesus standing there looking at like a ghoul. With a really neat halo. I mean, they—I mean, gold leaf for the halos, and they have icons of all the saints. And and the icons—if you look up icons in a Christian dictionary—it'll tell you, essentially, it's an idol. No matter how much people deny it. No, so say, okay, we're good Protestants. For heaven's sake, Evan, quit accusing us of kneeling to the statue of the Virgin or burning a candle in front of an icon in your house. We have the scene thing we want. Um, I like Norman Rockwell as an artist. It's a little saccharine, a little obvious, a little. Norman Rockwell would paint Americana. You ever see that painting of Norman Rockwell? It's an old woman and her son traveling at a train station and they're saying grace over their porridge in the train and a couple workmen are at the next table looking at them. Or the famous one of the Thanksgiving meal all the family gathered round in the big turkey or the family going off to church in a nice 1955 way all crisp dresses on the women a hat because women wore hats back when women were godly just saying you don't have to wear hats but we, get a, we don't have icons. We have an image of what church should look like. Wouldn't that just be nice? We, we like This makes us comfortable. We like the pews. I said, we like the pews. Mm-hmm. Center aisle. If there were flowers right here every Sunday, oh, that would be great. I have no objection to flowers right there every Sunday. R.L. Dabney, the uh, chaplain to Stonewall Jackson, said flowers in the church were the road to Rome. He was a little wound, a little tight, but. What? It says, Suffer the little children. Well, I'll give you something to suffer. It's Linus. When the Son of Man is lifted up you will know that I am he, he says. In John 12 I'm just marching through John here this is after the triumphal entry right after now is the judgment of this world now shall the ruler of this world be cast out And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show by what death he was to die. The crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Now that's a um, ominous, threatening little thundercloud that tells the people that are listening, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him, asking him questions. What a great Bible study to be in. You're asking Jesus Christ questions about things, Not your own pastor who might know a little bit about stuff, and he comes up, makes something up, and tells you, this is Jesus, the Son of Man, descended from heaven. And he's saying the light's going to be with you a little bit longer. It's going to get dark soon. You might want to believe in the light. What happens when it gets dark? It's been 2,000 years since our Lord was here. And uh, now what? Oh, wouldn't it be great if Jesus were here? No. What, what's, what about the darkness? What, what, were we, what are we doing with Jesus anyway? Why do we want to have something that when it did happen, people didn't believe it? When he was here, they did not believe him. Okay. When he was here, those who believed in him within a chapter picked up stones to stone him. Why do we want a seen religion? He wants us to be sons of light by believing in him when we have the opportunity to see the light that is Christ. Because the darkness can overtake you. And my warning is, it's not that, oh my gosh, could Christian kids get caught up in sin when they go off to college and they take an anthropology class and their faith is destroyed and, oh my heavens, they're drinking, they got a tattoo. What's worse is that they went to church. It's worse that they start to get Religion. Start to replace belief in Jesus Christ. Because faith in Jesus Christ works itself out. The faith without works is dead. It is without faith, it is impossible to please God. We are people where we're supposed to take responsibility for believing him. You should be asking yourself, okay, what part of that book have I refused to believe because I don't want to give up me? Me being in charge. I don't want to give up a more satisfying arrangement that I make myself for my life. It's right after this, I have it in red. It says, when Jesus has said this, this is kind of ominous, he departed and hid himself from them. Belief carrying on after Christ looking for him seeking him but seeking him as a thing believed in not a thing seen because you can fill your little religious life with all sorts of seen things we're not supposed to build visible pieces out of the things even that god Creates. When when he made the temple, when he gave the instruction of the tabernacle, he's down to the you know, do this and make it that long and that big and make the curtains this high and the post and the pomegranates and then the cherubim embroidered in the width, that and the other. And they did it. And then people started worshiping the temple. And Isaiah says, Do not trust these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And he destroyed the temple. A few times. Now, why are we tempted? Did we not look at Christ with belief? We looked at Christ with wanting religion, but not one that interfered? Do you not want Jesus to interfere? Has, has that ever crossed your mind that if you ever... Do you know any like, people you say, well, that's a saint. And you go, I don't want to be that way because you know that saints end up just not really able to have much of a normal life. Does God want you to be a saint? Does God want you to be holy? No, I don't think it means you lose a normal life, and I don't mean having a normal life is a judgment on you. But you need to look at your Christianity and say, how much of this is me, me believing, me becoming the son of light? have I become the son of light? Because Jesus is going to, like this ominous last verse, depart and hide himself. Where is your God now? Says the ungodly person to you. When a close family member dies of some sudden illness. Where is your God now? Where are you with that? Are you a son of light? If you are religious in the scene variety, you might be devoutly serious in the scene variety. I mean, it takes a lot of devotion to kneel on concrete in front of a concrete statue of the Virgin Mary. I'll give that guy props. He believed. It was crazy, but he believed. But he was believing in what he could see. What the, the, the religious world you create, are you, are you left without the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you left with only the residue of Christendom that has been handed out? I have here on the side, think crucifix. Think the calendar moments. Do you get all Easter, Jesus! Now I like Jesus and I like well, I don't like chocolate that much, but I like Peeps. No one else likes Peeps. They're marshmallow, you know. I like malted milk eggs. Okay, jelly beans. I'm a religious man. I think you do know, and I think I've mentioned this to you before, that Easter has nothing to do with Christianity. But it's about the Lord's resurrection. Yeah, but look in the Bible sometime and see if it ever told you to create a a religious celebration around the day of his resurrection. It doesn't. Nor does it say to celebrate his birthday, which is fine to do, I do. I have a tree in my house, loyal to Wotan and my, my, my Northern European roots. But they're not Christian. We just don't, we just give them Christian names. I mean, you could you could name all of our automobiles after saints instead of the I don't know what the awful names they have for cars now, the Probe. It could be the Saint Swithens, and it doesn't make it part of Christianity to name it for a saint. We might feel better feel better about it. Calendar events. Again, I celebrate them. It's part of the culture. It's not part of my Christianity. If I was cast on a desert island with a bunch of other Christians and we lost our calendars and we couldn't figure out when Easter was, we would not be up a creek. Christianity is belief of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and life eternal. His death, burial, and resurrection, not the celebration of his death, burial, and resurrection. That the church has sought to see things. And that's what the darkness was for a millennium and a half. Until somebody like Martin Luther goes, Hold it, wasn't there something that actually was supposed to happen to us when we believed? By faith alone? The whole, Europe, All of Europe goes up in a sudden explosion because somebody goes, hold it, wasn't there something about real belief? Not all the observations of the things seen. No matter what the things seen represented, the fact that it's an icon of Jesus and not Baal or Apollo doesn't make it better. Just because the story it illustrates is orthodox doesn't mean you get to burn candles to it. Have this is Exodus 20. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You're not supposed to make graven images. Not like the, not like Isis is out there destroying the statues in Nineveh because it's a graven image. We're not supposed to make graven images as part of our religion. It was fine to make graven images on the curtains of the walls of the tabernacle. It was fine for Solomon to make cherubim in the Holy of Holies. Huge ones that each one would fill this space back here whose wings would touch in the middle over the Ark of the Covenant. Huge graven images. But they weren't part of your worship. They weren't what you bowed down to. They were decorations. We're not talking about decorations. But if you start making the visible part of your religion, if you start making your religious experience, we inherited that cross. It's not my idea of a good cross. If it's up there, and I'd have to take it down, paint it, have it not have that shape, that modern 1965. Ooh, look, we've slanted the. You, I hope you have nothing to do with that. I hope it's just sort of vaguely in the background. It would bother you if it went because of tradition but crucifix this is not this is a cross a, a crucifix is where you have Jesus on the cross so on a rosary or a, where Jesus is nailed on. the Catholics like those because of the perpetual sacrifice of the victim but you can have all sorts of places to hide your visible religion. Now, you say, Evan, are you making too much out of this? I want you to remember, this is something I talked over with my father a week or so ago. It's what drew it to mind for want to preach about it. 2 Kings, uh, Kings 18, verse 1. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. The daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, that's a refreshing change on kings of Israel and Judah. According to all that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places, he broke down the pillars, and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had burned incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Oh my heavens. This is approximately Hezekiah Oh, uh, he's about mid-600s. The bronze serpent is made 1420, somewhere in there. So, what's that make? 800 years. This thing, designed by God, representing a great work of God to the people of Israel in the wilderness. Since then, people have been carrying it around as a false god that they'd burn incense to. And the righteous king in 650 BC has to crush the thing. Tell me it's not like a crucifix. The very thing that it is actually the shadow of, actually the type of, actually told by the scriptures to go, oh, it's like Jesus. Let's do the same thing to him. We'll have a cross and Jesus on it, and we will bow down and light incense to it. Or burn a candle to it. I don't care, again, it doesn't have to be a crucifix. It could be any sort of thing that you begin to think that you're seen commodity. Now obviously we have physical lives, we have a meeting room that we get together in, and, and there's beauty to it, and there's good things in the physical world. We're not told to be entirely these rationalists and spiritualize everything, that the physical world does not credit God. We need to have that. But it's credit for what it is. We have, um, we, we enjoy the things of life for what they are, not for what they aren't. It is our belief in Jesus Christ, not our having looked on him. It's our belief in Jesus Christ, not our relationship, physical relationship. Your father, your mother, and your brothers are here to see you. Who, he says, are my mother and my brothers? Is it not those who hear my words and do them? Jesus Christ kicks all sorts of our physical religious claims because if you're not going to make it high church, bowing down, burning incense, robes, priests, censors, choir boys, you're going to have some other image that you're trying to create a a religion out of. Some people try to have it be generational. And even Jesus' family wasn't good enough. He said to the BVM, St. Simeon, a sword will pierce your soul as well. Who is my mother? Well, the Blessed Virgin Mary. No, who is my mother? Is it not those who hear my word and do it? Jesus is wanting real religion of belief out of us, where we listen to him and believe the world that he describes. And we do what he says because he has wonderfully changed us. Yeah, we've got all the other visible things for the joys of life. But not our religion. Traditions are good. I have traditions in my family. Because a family needs them. Christianity does not. Christianity has a Lord. Christianity has direction from its God. It doesn't need traditions to make itself whole. A family might, a nation might, a club might, but not our religion. So, take a look at that phenomena, what happened to the brazen serpent. It was commanded by God. It was turned into an idol. It really did save people from their illness. It turned into an idol. And Jesus Christ that it represented really did save us from our sins. And we've turned him into an idol. We have all sorts of different ways of doing that. But even when you tell yourself it's not Islam, it's the truth, do not allow yourself to do it. It doesn't matter if it was from the hand of God. You don't get to turn it into a visible religion that you will serve. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful. Be merciful to us. Teach us of our belief. Help us know where we don't. Force us to ask ourselves the hard questions that why do we not believe your Son? Have it be total, Lord. Have us be the kind of saints in this body that seek you And seek you to believe you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.